Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria radio. about the nativity of Mary, the celebration of her birth, I want to go over some surprising facts about Mary. Father David McConey has, has written a delightful book, wonderfully, uh, it's got wonderful art all through it, and lots of historical and theological insights and devotional insights, which are really worth sharing about the Blessed Mother. Uh, Father uh, McConey is the author of many books. He's been with us before here. And uh, we're talking today about the 101 Surprising Facts About Mary. He is director of the uh, uh, Center for Catholic Studies at St. Louis University. And um, his other books include uh, Catherine Doherty, Essential Writings, um, Frank Sheed and Maisie Ward, uh, Spiritual Writings. And it's good to have you back with me, Father. Thank you. Al, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to talk about the Blessed Mother here, and let me ask, first of all, some, about something that you write uh, in the introduction to the book. You say, um, all truths about Mary are ultimately about Jesus Christ and the triune God. Tell us why. <laughs> well, we Catholics sometimes get uh, teased and pilloried and, and, and uh, misunderstood that we think the saints have some independent power apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, and even the Blessed Mother takes all of her power and all of her ability to answer our prayers from him. And so the church in the very early years was concerned about how to speak about Mary, how to pray with Mary, because it was ultimately a question of Jesus Christ. Was he really the son of Mary? Was she really the mother of God? These questions had to be hammered out um, with, a, with a devotion to her, but always with the proper theological understanding of what the Incarnation meant for, for Christians. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a both and. We, Christ, we Catholics are really good at that. It's not just about Mary, it's about Mary and her son. As you were going through these uh, 101 uh, really surprising facts about Mary, uh, was there one, two of them that stood out for you as some real surprises, even given your background? <laughs> you know, a lot of them, they just, the way the saints had such a great devotion to Our Lady, this isn't some just medieval accretion, but it really is something that the earliest Christians needed. You know, to be a Christian means to belong to a family, and a family has both a father and a mother. And it's the mother to whom we bring the flowers and write the songs and create the poems. And that started really since day one. Mary was, in some way, that that, that feminine presence that every human heart desires. So the consistency, I guess, of our Church's devotion for Our Lady is, it wasn't surprising, but it sure is comforting. You you mentioned something that I'd never heard before, and that is that the first apparition of Mary yeah. takes place even before her bodily assumption. That's right. There's an old tradition that she appeared to uh, Saint James in Saragossa, and he was being he was being persecuted, and so she came to comfort him. And I think really that is Our Lady's role even now, that when Christians are in need of some comfort, um, she appears. 
Yeah, that seems to run through so many of the, uh, so many, even 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 if she's, uh, you know, giving exhortations, uh, there's always this sense of, uh, of uh, comfort that she's offering as well. Um, why is the Our Lady of Chestahova have scars on her face? <laughs> the uh, was it the Cossacks who tried to take her? It was it was gilded, and it was quite a valuable and and popular piece of devotional uh, art. And so to to uh, deplete the poles' uh, energy and to take away their their hope, they tried to steal this, and uh, they couldn't budget. And some fellow just he he just lost it and started hacking away at her face. Gee. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mary can stand her ground when she needs to. Do we have any, um, you know, early artistic representations of her? I mean, I, I doubt that she sat down and posed for a portrait, but uh, I'm just <laughs> Well, curious. there is that tradition that Luke, that Luke uh, drew. Uh, uh, he wrote the, the first icon of her. But really, the earliest th- stuff we have is from second century, probably around Antioch in Syria. Hmm. And uh, it's a scene of the Annunciation, which which makes sense. Sure. You can see the rays. Uh, the artist tried to depict the Annunciation of the rays entering Mary's womb from Gabriel's mouth. Wow! So there's all those early depictions, really, of of that moment of Annunciation, because that really is what changes the world. It's not it's not so much Christmas, because Mary for nine months knew what the rest of the world would only find out later. There's a there's an intimacy. When we have a Marian devotion, there's an understanding that that life of Christ is oftentimes secret and still and personal, and she embodies that literally. I, I was before I returned to the Catholic Church, um, I, I started growing surprised at how certain Catholic devotions, which seemed to me to be extra scriptural and maybe even, um, you know, in some way uh, obstructionist. Um, that they actually can be found in Scripture. And you write that the Seven Sorrows devotion stems in part from Christ's presentation at the temple, and you can find all of Mary's sorrows, Seven Sorrows, in Scripture. Um, right, of course. That's a very and all the Mary, uh, all, yeah. the, all the mysteries of the rosary, they're all there in Scripture. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an important point to make, uh, because sometimes even Catholics forget that uh, Scripture itself uh, can can unf- the truths of it can be unfolded over over our history. Um, do are there any uh, archaeological claims uh, that you think we can identify where both Joseph and Mary were? Uh, well, the flight into Egypt, of course, and there's a lot of beautiful iconography about that. Um, and I think politically and historically, even though we may not have extra scriptural sources for it, I think it's uh, something fitting and right that we can we can claim. There are, of course, churches along the way there that boast um, artifacts of Mary. Mary was here. Mary nursed the child Jesus here. Uh, there's an old um, there's an old Alexandrian story about um, Our Lady giving giving the baby Jesus a bath and. Um, hmm. 
after they leave, the parents of the inn put their baby who had leprosy into the bath, and he's healed. Huh. And it turns out that the next time that baby encounters Jesus, he's actually the good thief on the cross. And when he hears Jesus's voice cry out, he recognizes. Oh, and that's uh, yeah. So like any like any beautiful lady, there's legends, there's stories, there's ballads. Uh, some are historically verifiable. Most aren't, but they are fitting that this would have 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 occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it, that if you, at least, if you if you say the woman in relationship to Western history, hmm. everybody's going to think of Mary. Yeah, of she course. is the woman. Um, I was disappointed. I was in a I was in a very very evangelical uh, Protestant bookstore not long ago, and there was a, a a book of women of the Bible, and Mary wasn't even in it. Oh, good heavens! You're kidding. And I thought to myself, isn't it sad? The way maybe Catholics stay away from that phrase, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or yeah. talk about Christ as Lord right. and Savior, right. that well, the camps have become so entrenched that what's ours can't be theirs, you know? Yeah, no. So <laughs> That's very, very good. I, I, you know, along these same lines, uh, I've heard people talk about uh, that somehow after the Second Vatican Council, there was a, um, I don't want to say a suppression, but a, a, mm. a moving away from uh, Marian devotion and Mariology, then a study of Mary. Why is that? Well, there might have been, maybe the more charitable read would be a correction. Um, okay. There, there was a popular joke in the 50s about Jesus walking through heaven, and he chances upon someone who had no right to be there, and Jesus says, how'd you get in? He said, your mother's letting us in through the back door. <laughs> Uh, and that's just bad theology. And so when the Church Fathers of Vatican II decided to write about Mary, knowing they had to, instead of a separate document, they actually attached it to the end of the treatise on the Church, Lumen Gentium, mm-hmm. which is right and fitting that Mary is a member of the Church. In the Magnificat, she calls the Lord her Savior. She's just saved from the moment of her conception. But when we separate Mary too much from the Church or from Jesus Christ, that's when a lot of those bad images, that faulty theology can come in. I think people meant well. Um, there's nothing wrong with a strong Marian devotion, but what are her last words in Scripture? <laughs> the wedding at Cana, do whatever he tells yeah. you, that mm-hmm. she will always point us back to her son. And as John Paul surprisingly said, he'll always point us back to her. Yeah. So there's that symbiosis, there's that synergy, that if it's ever separated, things can get wonky really quickly. Yeah, I mean, she is the mother, real mother of a real son, and, mm-hmm. and that relationship doesn't die I mean, That's right. you know, it isn't as though... And it's so rich and universal that she is, as Lumen Gentium calls her, the mother of our souls in the order of grace. Yeah. She yeah. is our mother, too, just in a different way. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. I think the, the more seriously one takes the incarnation, I think the m- more one is drawn uh, to sure. ask, what's Mary's real role in this? I mean, what, right. what does she really contribute uh, out of her own life substance, well, Jesus's body, uh, yeah. the incarnate, and one. that that whole familial presence. I mean, a lot of non-Catholic Christians will call Jesus their best friend, and I say, if that's true, when's your best friend's mom's birthday? Because you're a pretty bad friend <laughs> if you don't love those whom your best friend loves, and if you don't honor those whom he honors. And you know, like any married man, you have to know your wife's um, friends and moms and parents' birthdays and anniversaries, and that's what we do with the saints. It's all in First Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. That God longs to be all in all. He's not a micromanager who absorbs everything into himself. He loves to share his presence through the gift of creatures. And Mary, I would say, is preeminent there. Been a lot of discussion since the 19th century about Marian apparitions. Uh, The apparitions at Fatima have real geopolitical significance. Um, 
the church, what is the church's attitude towards apparitions of that sort? This whole question of private revelation. I mean, on the one hand, I guess there's no binding obligation uh, to believe them, but at the same time, we do make considerable, uh, you know, we, we make a considerable project of them. There's a lot that we hang on Fatima. There is, there is, and really all over. I mean, Our Lady of Cincinnati, there are little apparitions. So the Church's attitude is one of holy caution, I think. The Church rarely jumps on something immediately, and even though the stumbling may seem laborious and, and, and ridiculous, I think at the end it pays off to, to wait and to see the fruits. I mean, Jesus knows that we're not all spiritual gurus, and he gave us a very easy rule of discernment, a tree is known by its fruit. And so we see, are people who are going to these apparitions, are they becoming more loving, more, more devoted to the Eucharist, uh, more charitable in works of mercy and alms deeds and whatnot? And so the Church waits uh, decades, if not centuries, to make an official claim. Mm-hmm. which I think is right, than what we do with the saints. Yeah, and, and we still ha- don't have an official ruling on Medjugorje yet, do we? No, we don't. Okay. No, we don't. Pope Francis did give us, he resurrected that beautiful Marian devotion of Our Lady the Endure of Knots. Yes, uh, He okay. learned about that when he was yeah. in Germany as a doctoral student. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, I actually yeah. didn't learn well, we of this. We just commissioned a statue. We just got and... a new chapel. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I didn't even learn of that title uh, for Mary until I was probably 10 years a Catholic. Mm-hmm. So what is it? I don't think anybody knew about it well before Francis popularized it. And I was saying, we just uh, we built a new chapel here on St. Louis University's campus, and the, the statue the kids voted for was Our Lady Undoer of Knots. <laughs> and she will undo all the problems that our first Eve got us into. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Father, thanks. Great talking with you again. Well, bless you and all your listeners. Thank you for your work. Father David McConey, 101 Surprising Facts About Mary. It's also a beautiful book, so the art in it is magnificent. I'm Al Cresta. Be right back.